With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good, good morning. This is Amy Tang of Worship Dance Ministries, and this is the third session of Dancers Assume the Position. That Marlita Hill is walking us through her powerful book on the what and the why and the impact of the dancer's ministry. And this morning we're going to be studying Chapter 3, The Effectiveness of the Dance Minister. So last week we really got a global picture. Um, we got a global perspective of the context in which we minister. We saw that the journey of the individual and then the body of Christ collectively is to grow in our identity as sons so that we learn to speak, think, and act as Jesus did, carrying on his work in the world. And we learned that our role as dancers in the church is to help the office, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, te- um, shepherds, prophets, equip the saints to mature in this way, and that they mature by learning and applying what they or what we learn in the Word of God. And um, we reinforce and facilitate this message. And when we dance, that we're affecting not just those in front of us, but we're building as we build up one part of the body, we're affecting the capital B body of Christ as a whole. So this morning, I'm really excited to start. This is a really rich, really dense chapter. It's full of good theology and practicals. So um, I want to welcome Marlita. And um, so welcome, Marlita. Would you pray for us this morning before we jump in? I would, absolutely. Father God, I thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you for new mercies. I declare, Father, that you are the Lord of our lives. You are the Lord of our dance. You said if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of it. You said that you would teach us all things pertaining to our call. Um, You have promised to lead us and guide us. And so I thank you, Father, for this information, this understanding that you have given me and through me given us. Um, I thank you for your faithfulness to be with us, to show us how to continue to press in to this amazing collaborative opportunity that we have for you, or with you, should I say. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us in this call. Speak through me but also be the voice inside my voice, that even while I'm sharing what you give me to share, that each hearer would hear you specifically for their assignment. So we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your revelation and your understanding. Um, And I am excited to even learn more things my own self. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I loved very early on in the chapter, you said both song and movement have strategic qualities that help us fulfill our function. They provide another medium for visualizing and understanding. I think this chapter, um, you really begin with why 
why dance and, and song and movement are so needed and valuable to help with this global perspective of the saints really hearing and knowing God's word and understanding their calling. Um, and you said something, Marlita, on page 40 that should cause us to pause. Um, you said spiritual maturity comes by learning and applying what we have learned. And then you go on to say that there remains an overwhelming imbalance between the massive information that we have acquired and the implementation of that information in the way we live our lives and the fruit it should be producing. Could you talk about that imbalance and the consequences of that? Yeah, so the really interesting thing when God led me to write this chapter was there was a consistent back and forth throughout the chapter between setting a context for us about why it's important to do the things that God is leading us to do, which sidebar, that's what this book is really about, is all of us, when God told me to write this book, he told me this is not, it's not necessarily that you're giving new information per se, because we know these things foundationally. But he said, what you're going to do is peel back the curtain so that we can see why it's so important to do what it is that he's leading us to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And throughout yep. the book, it was my task to to put us in a context, to put our dancing rooted in a context. And so in Chapter 3, what that context is really about is, so, you know, in Chapter 2, we established that the body of Christ is on a journey of which our local church is a part of um, and that that body of Christ is on a journey of maturity and of becoming. But that sometimes, and this goes to your questions, a lot of times we don't see that happening because of the way we envision our relationship with the word of God. It's very passive. Right, So we think the going to the church is going to change us. We think that just hearing it is going to change us, but it actually demands participation on our part to see that change in our life. Um, And speaking to the imbalance, with all of the massive information and access to the word of God that we have, if hearing the word of God was enough, then we would all be superheroes with superpowers. But that's not the case, right? Because we have 24 access. We have, you know, access, podcasts, blogs, the Bible, study groups, all kinds of things. There's, especially in the United States, there's no way that we don't have access um, in a plethora of ways to the word of God. And yet, One of the things I say in the book is you see individuals progress and you see individuals make big changes, but as the body of Christ, you don't see us making the collective impact that I believe um, is the heart of God for us to make. So that's what that imbalance is about. And the reason that I spoke about that is because for us as dance ministers, you know, we talked about last week about the dance minister being a reinforcer and an enabler, and that is the context that we are working in, is this context where there is this imbalance, where there is this need 
to go beyond just hearing the word. And so mm-hmm. we are we are affecting that situation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. You quote um you put James chapter two, seventeen through twenty four. Um and I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna try to read it with the emphasis, the parts that you even highlight in the book. Um which speaks to the the need to not just hear but to interact with and act on the word. So James writes, so also faith, if it does not have works, deeds, and actions of obedience to back it up by itself is destitute of power, in other words, inoperative and dead. But someone will say to you, uh, you have faith and I have good works. Now show me your alleged faith apart from any good works, if you can, and I, by good works of obedience, will show you my faith. Um, And then I'm going to skip down to the end. You see that a man is justified, which is pronounced righteous before God, through what he does, and not alone through faith, through works of obedience, as well as by what he believes. So there's some expounding in there. And you said the word of God was never meant to be something we only read, but um, a telling of what is and what is about to manifest in our lives. And you talk about the absence of cling. Um, I like that term. What is cling? And how do we as dancers help the body of Christ cling to what they hear from God's word? So um, in Luke 8, that's where this section came from. Luke 8 is the parable of the sower. And it's talking about these four people or these four instances. I don't know if there are people, but this parable or these four encounters of people who hear the word of God. Um, and then it gives the example of what, what happens once they hear the word of God, right? Some falls on thorns, some, you know, uh, falls on hard ground and, La, la, la. So it goes through the three instances. And, and then at the end, the fourth hearer, though, it says, clean, uh, holds to it or holds fast to it. I don't have my Bible in front of me. Um, oh, keeps it. The fourth mm-hmm. hearer keeps the word and is able to produce from it. And the Holy Spirit showed me that in order for us to be able to produce, we have to be able to keep it. That was the difference between the fourth year and the previous three years is that for various reasons, though they heard the word, they weren't able to hold on to what they heard, whether it was the cares of this world, whether they weren't rooted, whether they didn't have faith in what they heard, regardless of the reason, there were these various reasons why people lost connection with the word. But the fourth one, because of that connection, because that was the only difference between the fourth one and the previous three, because of that connection that they were able to maintain with the word that they heard, it was able to take root and bear fruit. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's about. So, you know, James 3 and Luke 8 for me um, go together. Yes, mm-hmm. you have to do something with your faith, but you have to stay connected with the word of God long enough to be able to do something with your faith. Um, and so how that applies to us as dancers, which we'll go into in a minute in more depth, is we help 
in that clinging process, helping people stay connected to the word of God long enough for it to produce fruit in their lives. And this is really important for us to know because, one, it changes the way that we approach ministry through dance. Um, it gives us a sense of, of, um, of context. Um, it lets us know that, that we are not just entertainment, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're not just something to make the service pretty, um, and we're more than we include uh, leading people in praise and worship, but what you and I do is also much more substantive than that. And so it changes the way you approach it, the way you prepare for it, and the way you stand in it when you when you dance. So, Marlita, um, you said that there must be a mechanism in place to help people stay connected to the Word long enough for belief to become action and manifest, manifestation to occur. And so we're part of that vehicle. I think um, you go on to talk about the song. Could you talk about the strategy of the song? Yeah, so so we're talking about, just to, again, ground it in context, that the body of Christ is on a journey of maturity, right, for us to walk in the fullness of our, um, uh, in the fullness of what God has intended his body to be in the earth and in connection with him so he can minister to the earth, people in it. Um but you can't do that, right, unless that fruit is able to produce in you. Um, and then we just established that you can't produce anything if you're not connected to it long enough. Um, and so we need to stay connected to the word. And I talked about the fact that the dancer uh, helps in that process, mm-hmm. that the dancer helps in that process of helping the body of Christ stay connected to the word of God long enough for it to produce fruit in them because we were talking about that's an issue, right? Um, And so when I was writing this chapter, I came across this scripture. I remember the apartment I was in when I found it. I don't know how I found it, but in Deuteronomy 31. And so I was reading this. And the Lord showed me a strategy, and it blew my mind because I had never seen this before. And I thought, how could I have been saved all this time? And I never saw this. Mm. In Deuteronomy 31, this is where the children of Israel um, are about to cross over into the land, and Moses was disobedient. So uh, I think this was... Forgive me if I'm in the wrong place, but I think it was where something happened where God told Moses to strike the rock, and he was mad at the children of Israel, and so he hid it more times than God told him to. <laughs> he was so frustrated with the children of Israel. And so for whatever reason, God tells him, okay, listen, you're not going to cross over into the land. So Joshua is about to take over. But before they split, before the children of Israel move on without Moses, God tells Moses what the children of Israel are about to go through, how they're about to just flip out and act a fool, 
and how God is going to respond to them because of this. And so he gives this whole account to Moses about this, this uh, what's about to transpire. And then in Deuteronomy 31, 19 and 21, he says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the children of Israel. So all of this stuff that God tells Moses about what's coming, and why he's going to respond to them the way that he is, and how they change his response, um, he tells Moses to put it in a song. Now, he could have told Moses to write it, to, you know, mm-hmm. put it in sermons or anything else, but it was just so interesting to me that this information mm-hmm. that God wanted to make sure the children of Israel remembered he told him to put it in a song. And he said, write this song and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. And then there's some context in the middle. And and then at the end it says, and it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this Mm -hmm. song will testify against them as a witness for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. So this was really interesting to me because this God said this song wouldn't be forgotten out of their seed. So not only would the hearers not forget it, but their children and their children's children wouldn't forget it. That's how potent song is. And so he, again, we're talking about keeping people connected to the word of God long enough for it to bear fruit in their lives and produce maturity, right? So mm-hmm. what does it mean to do this? Well, the Holy Spirit reveals one of the ways that he does this in Deuteronomy is that when we take the word of God and we put it into this mechanism of music, of song, um, that that stays connected for whatever reason it does, it stays connected to our spirit. I mean, you can you and I can remember songs that we didn't hear since uh, junior high school. And what's interesting about it is you don't only remember the song, you remember where you were, you remember what you were doing, you remember who was in your life at that time, you remember situations around the song, um, and you don't just remember the words, you remember your favorite parts of the song, the melody, mm-hmm. how they sang it, where the drum beat came in. There's such a um, memory connected to song for whatever reason, but it is such a strong strategy that God uses. So when you and I as dancers are choosing songs, choosing them haphazardly, um, is not the way to go because where God leads us to, the song that he leads us to choose is because there's something that he wants embedded in the spirit Mm -hmm. of his people. You know what I mean? And what's interesting is I started to look up these words um, and what they mean. And uh, did you want me to share that or did you want me to Yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, this is great. the first thing he says is, um, I want you to teach this song to the children of Israel. And that word teach is a goad. 
And so what a goad is is this long stick that's pointed, um, and it was what they would use to prick the animal to get them to move. Mm-hmm. And so saying, teach this song to the children of Israel. So this song is going to prick them and cause mm-hmm. them to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouth. And so it's that word put um, means to make or set it as a sign. And so a sign is something that gives you indication. It gives you information um, about what's coming. It gives you an indication of what to do um, and what's coming before you, or, or should I say what's coming, what to do next, right? So it's information. And so in this song, uh, there was information for the children of Israel about what God said. And then it said, put it in their mouths, meaning make it a part of how they talk. Now, this was really interesting. Put it in their speech. Put it in their sentences. And this happened through song. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is going back to James 3, how we work faith, the fundamental way we work faith is to speak it. We were making the image and likeness of a speaking God who speaks his world into existence. And we are to be the same way. We are to speak our world into existence. So the first action that you take in applying the word of God is to speak it. Well, if we're putting the word of God into songs, and that song is causing the word of God to stick to them, and it keeps replaying to them, then they're speaking the word of God and they are activating the process of faith in their own life. All of this happens through what we do as dance ministers. I mean, it's like it's really, it's deep to me. (laughs) And then it says, um, so put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me. And that word witness Uh, When you look it up, it means that it will be a recorder. And so, you know, the spirit of uh, the word says that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. So this song will continue to replay to you what I said to you. Right? It records what I said, and then it replays. I'll bring the song up. You know, Psalm says, he gives me songs of deliverance in the night, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it said that this song shall testify against them, which means it will speak to them, right? It'll, it'll remind them what I said so that it shall not be forgotten, which means to be put in a place that you don't remember. And so all of this is this wonderful strategy, like I said, that God has so when. You know, we talked about last week about our function of reinforcing the word of God. And so this is where we get into that reinforcing part because the word of God is preached. And if we seek the spirit of God and we go and find a song or we are led by the spirit of God to the song that captures the essence of what they said, right, where the, where the spirit of God has the house, for that time, and we go and we find a song that reiterates 
what's being said in that pulpit. We are helping the people remember that and by them singing it because the Spirit of God will bring it up to them. And, you know, sometimes you have a song and you don't even know where it came from, but you just can't get it out of your head and it just keeps playing and keeps playing and keeps playing. But every time you sing that song, you're singing the Word of God and you mm. speak the Word of God. And as you speak it, that's a seed that brings other things, right? So now if if we're involved in this process, in this cycle, we're helping in this process of maturity and maturization because the people have connection with that word long enough for it to produce fruit. All through songs. It's the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing ever. You know, it's funny. I saw this twice this week. Um, once, none of my kids really like to sing um, at all. And um, But one of them, my 10-year-old boy, was at the table, and he, I heard him humming. I said, what are you singing? <clears throat> he said, uh, he was a little sheepish. Oh, this is my father's world. You know, that hymn. We, have a, we used to sing that when they were younger, you know, trying to teach them the hymns. But it just, like you even talk about it in the book, it'll just come into your mind. <laughs> and, you know, who knows? He obviously didn't. In, you know, call up that thought. It just popped into his mind. And then we have some students from China staying with us this week, and their English is very limited, so our conversations are very limited. But in the car, they would burst into song, and they would be singing these American songs, and their English would be perfectly clear in the song. And I just thought that was so interesting that what they couldn't even say in speech, they could say in song. Just the power of the song, yeah. Um, in addition to reinforcing the word, you talk about how the songs also help facilitate. So you you look at Psalm 100 and um, how talk about how the song also helps us to be ready to hear the word. Would you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so we talked about the fact that, you know, when people come in church, they come in from all kinds of, um, you know, circumstances, and they don't have to be drastic, circumstances, distractions, you know, all kinds of things. So that soil needs to be prepared so that when the Word of God comes forth, it falls on receptive ground that has room to receive it. And so in the Psalms 100, this was really interesting because from Psalms 100, we have so it says um, that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And he showed me uh, what these gates and courts were about. And so enter his gates with thanksgiving. And what a gate is, it's a means of an access. It's, or should I say it's a means of access to a place. So you have a gate in front of your house, or you have a gate in front of the courthouse, or, and you have to go through the gate to get to the house. So it's a means of access. Um, and it talks about entering those gates with thanksgiving, and I'll talk in a minute about what that thanksgiving is. But then it also talks about entering his court with praise. And I'm just going to read this little paragraph because I think it. Mm -hmm. 
sums it up beautifully. So it says the gates represent our means of access. The open courts represent that state of being where we are so mentally and spiritually consumed with the awareness of God's presence in us and around us that there is no room in our thoughts or heart for anxiety, fear, or distress to enter. The openness of the court gives room to hear. There is no bombardment or overcrowding of thought, and our attention is not divided among the various issues we face, providing a quiet and peaceful environment where we can listen. It allows us to hear God when he speaks from within us and to hear his voice inside the voice when he speaks outside of us. And the enclosing of the court provides a place of refuge. Though the issues that we come in with are still there, the court enables us to separate ourselves from them in order for us to receive what we need to deal with them. And it's interesting because, the, you know, the verse says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And he said, I remember when I was researching this, he asked me, he said, well, where, where are my courts and gates? And, you know, where do I reside? And he resides in us. So it's about us getting to the place where we recognize that he is with us, right? Because you have to get to a certain place, especially when you're just dealing with daily life, good or bad. You know, there's all this um, competition for your focus, for your Mm -hmm. thoughts. Um, for your heart. And so it's getting within yourself, creating room away from all that distraction and thought, again, be it good or bad, to where you can hear him inside of you speaking to you. Mm-hmm. The way that you do that, um, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so he took me to the scripture um, about the sacrifice of praise. Um, And it says, uh, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise. That is, meaning this is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And the fruit of our lips, our words, right? What comes Mm -hmm. from our lips, what is produced from our lips, our words, giving thanks to his name. And that word giving thanks is the Greek word homologeo, which means to say the same thing as. Mm. And so it's not just saying anything about God, but it's about us speaking the truth about what God has revealed about himself, saying the same thing that God has said about himself. And what that does is that connects us back to who he is what he's done for us in the past, how he's brought us through, and it gives us confidence when we can remember who he is, how he cares about us, and that he was successful over our lives in the past, that he can be successful for us in the future, and he can bring us into success with our present and future circumstance. And so when we are bringing people into this place, through the songs that we minister, 
we need to know this is what we are helping to happen. We are helping to create room for them to receive the word of God. We are helping to connect them back to who he is, right? We are, we are putting them in a place where faith can come alive again. Yes. Yes. And so, <clears throat> so if songs are a significant part that helps them to be open to hear God's word and then cling to it, obviously song choice is an important part of our ministry. And you talk about obtaining the in-season song. In fact, it's a pretty powerful quote. You say, the question we must first answer within ourselves is, would we be satisfied to bring a word from God, or do we want to bring the word from God? Could you um, explain what you mean by in-season song, and then you share some um, specific guidelines about how to choose songs? Yes. Okay. So... As far as the end season, um, you know, there's the verse in the Bible that says um, that I have a, something to the effect of I have a discerning heart. I know how to bring the word in season to them who are weary. And that stuck out to me. And I had mentioned this last week about the fact that, you know, I would see on forums sometimes perhaps, you know, there's a holiday coming up or, or something like that and people would post questions like, does anyone know um, a good song for Thanksgiving? Or does anyone know a good song about forgiveness? And I think that's wonderful, but I, I think that's just a first step. And that's what I mean between are you just wanting a word or do you want the word? Because the whole Bible is word of God, right? Mm. But he's not speaking to you from every place all the Mm. time at the same time. And so it's important for us to know our responsibility, um, what, what we're involved in when we stand before the people of God and to take that seriously. And then from there to go and hear what is the word I'm supposed to say what's the song I know there's a lot of songs I could do but what's the one I need to do and that's a big difference mm-hmm. it's a big difference thank you. yes thank you um, you also give five specific guidelines so we're listening for what God what do you want to say in this circumstance and then some kind of guideposts along the way. I'm going to read them, if that's okay, and this is a short form, and then um, if there's anything you want to fill in to what, what I've pulled out from there, um, I'll let you do that. You said we, we choose songs that reiterate what the man or woman of God is declaring over the pulpit. So we're cooperating with what they are already saying, what they've already heard to share with the people. Mm-hmm. And then two is we choose songs that instruct the laws, principles, and commands of God. Three, songs that remind people of God's doing and thank Him and praise Him. Um, and then just, I think this comes from Ephesians, but I forget, but Psalms, which is Scripture to music, hymns, songs based on Scripture but not directly Scripture, and spiritual songs, which is songs from the Spirit of God. And the fifth one is songs that praise and worship God. Have I got that? And is there anything you want to add to that? No, I just 
want to tie it in, um, you know, that, again, this this list connects with that verse. Um, let me see, I have it right here. Um, Hebrews 13, 15, that talks about offering up the sacrifice of praise, that giving thanks to his name. Um, and we have to be diligent about that because not all songs that say God or say Christ are um, accurate, mm-hmm. right? And if we understand that the songs that we minister to are songs that people are going to be singing and thus speaking, if we're picking something, if we're choosing songs that that paint an inaccurate picture of who mm-hmm. God is or songs that are not biblically based, mm-hmm. though they say God's name, then if we believe what I said earlier, what I showed you in scripture earlier, that this will be brought into the language of people and that they'll speak this, then we're we're giving them dead, impotent seed, mm-hmm. right? So they're speaking things in their life because they heard the song and it plays, it plays in their mind and then they sing it, so they're speaking it. And instead of them speaking faith, speaking the word of God that will produce, we're giving them inaccurate, impotent things to speak. Um, hence, we're not seeing the fruit produced in their life, and they're not maturing. Um, so, so there's there's a lot of responsibility that mm-hmm. comes from the that we choose. I mean, if you buy into this whole stuff I'm talking about. well yeah and that they need to be songs of substance right they need to be songs of substance we need to be discerning i like what you say on page 55 um you said it would be good for us to pray that the songs we minister would not only get people healed and saved but that they would continue to admonish the people throughout the week that the images and the way god dealt with them would continue to encouragingly bother them when they go home and that their speaking of the word would not be a mindless regurgitation, but as they sing it, that the word would begin to take root in their heart and stir up their inspiration of faith. So we've talked about the songs we choose. Let's move to the dance, to the movements that we, that we choose. <clears throat> you say that you, um, that you intend to hopefully dispel through the word some of the unfounded religious man-made doctrines that we've tried to force on each other and that God gave you guidelines from his word to line your dance up with. Could you share what those guidelines are? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I've, you know, been to dance ministry conferences and I've been doing this for over 20 years. So I've, I've seen and heard a lot. And one of the things that it's important for us to distinguish, especially those of us who are in positions of leadership or are teaching other people, we have to be careful to discern when something that God tells us is for us as individuals or for our ministry only, like our dance ministry only, or if this is law and principle Mm -hmm. for all of us. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what I 
heard and seen more times than than I would like is that we have not understood the difference between these two. And so we're we're preaching things and teaching things as law that uh, are for your taste and for mm-hmm. your purposes and for your hang-ups and for your ministry because I do the exact opposite and it's very evident God moves to me. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then what you're saying is wrong is wrong for you. It's not wrong for everybody. And so that's what I meant, uh, because sometimes we we take those things that are for us as individuals or the individual jurisdiction that we're over, and you have a lot of people in bondage, um, frustrated and confused and discouraged because they know they heard God. They heard him clearly. But because it doesn't look like what someone else's looks like, who's in a position of authority and leadership, um, they get talked out of what they know they heard God say because they're young in it, you know, and it's scary to stand against something that you respect. You, You know what I mean? So I think that's really important, and that's why I wanted to dispel that. And that's why God told me, listen, I'm not... In the beginning of the book, I I say, I'm not going to tell you dance moves. I'm not going to tell you colors. I'm not going to tell you anything like that. That's not what God told me to bring to you. I'm going to give you principle. And you take that principle and you go back and you ask God, how does this apply in what you've given me? Because I I don't have a guidebook for you. You know what I'm saying? I don't have this is how you do this is what you do. Because we're all called to different things, different places, different people, different contexts. So I can't possibly give that to you. That's only something that God can give it to you. And I get a little wary sometimes when when people stand and definitively dictate that for everyone. If I read it right, what you said that his guideline for what um what is holy is that you fear him and you listen to his commands. And so would that be the general guideline that you would give? Like, listen to him, ask him what to do? Or am I oversimplifying that? No, I, I, think, you're, I think you're, like, if you want to get down to the, to the nugget of it, yes. So I was looking at the encounter with Cornelius, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before I say that, though, there was, uh, yeah, because there's this whole thing about holiness, and there are a plethora, a whole buffet of ways that we define holiness from group to group, from dancer to dancer, from church to church. From, And again, like I was speaking about before, we can get caught up in things and, you know, God has you on a particular path, and it doesn't look like what the other person's definition of holiness looks like. And so, again, sometimes we get discouraged or we get, you know, we become afraid that maybe what we're hearing is not God. Um, And so, you know, what makes anything holy? Anything that we do, 
we are holy because God told us we were holy. That's it, right? Um, God is holy, and any extension of God, like his word, is holy. So Mm -hmm. when you line up with his word, when you do what he's led you to do, then your actions become holy. If you dance according to how he's led you to dance, then your dance becomes holy. I don't care if you're moving your hips. I don't care what you're wearing. And I'm not saying, let me pause, because people get really sensitive about this. Let me pause. I'm not saying it can be the wild, wild west. I'm saying if you follow what he's told you to do, what the Spirit of God has told you to do, and what I mean by it doesn't mean it doesn't matter what you're wearing, meaning some people may say, oh, to show your arms is not of God. Well, he told you. That's not what he told me. He told me to wear this, right? So that's what I mean. As long mm-hmm. as our individual assignment and path that we are following the spirit of God, that's what makes it holy. That alone is his word because he is holy and his word is holy. So when we line up with him and his word, what we do becomes holy. That's it. That's it. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Good. I'm going to take a minute and just see if people have questions or comments um, before we move on. Hello? Yes, who's this? This is Yolanda Hill from Chicago. Hi, Yolanda. Hi. Um, What I like is what you said is uh, when the Lord tells you, and to what to wear when you're ministering uh, before the people, before him, uh, because, you know, I, over you know over the years, just attending workshops and different things, I you know kind of been given uh, <laughs> uh, an idea of what you should wear, and I was told the very thing that your arms shouldn't be revealed and this and that, you know, when you minister and dance. But uh, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, it's what the Lord tells you, and if you obey Him, then yes, that is holy. So I never looked at it like that. I've never heard it quite like that before. It makes sense, but uh, yes, that's that's real good. I really, yeah, I received that one right there, that 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 point that you brought out with the uh, dress when you dance. Praise mm-hmm. God. And again, I'm not, I have to be careful about this because this is a, this is a, you know, a point where we get very contentious with each other and and I'm not at all, again, I'm not at all speaking anarchy. I'm not at all speaking carelessness where you can just get up and wear anything. I'm not right. saying go and just wear a leotard and tight in church. <laughs> I'm saying that. I'm not saying that, you know. Um, what I'm saying is there is liberty in God. There's liberty in God. And so I talked about it a while ago. I remember one time when when I did the blood, the song by Kurt Carr, the blood, and he led me to have my dancers wear unitard, body shape revealing, clinging to your body, 
unitards. You saw every curve. You saw every everything. There was no long skirt. There was no ephod. There was nothing. There was nothing but us and leotards, or unitards. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And I really struggled with whether I was hearing God. And my church is pretty liberal. You know, we've danced in tank tops and locks and all kinds of stuff. My church is really liberal, but this really made me nervous. Um, but I tell you, when we did it, I have never had people come and respond the way that they did. I mean, people were sobbing because what needed to be shown couldn't couldn't be um, hidden behind all of that fabric. (laughs) So there's a time and a place. And what was really interesting to me is God gave me the example of a knife, right? And he said, is a knife good or bad? And a knife is neither. It's neither good nor bad. It's used for good and bad purposes. But the knife in itself is not bad, right? And so what we see sometimes is what gets us in trouble is our intentions behind things. But if your intention is to be right with God and you've heard God, you got to believe. Marlita, will you talk about, you said that God does not only use physical movement, but physical movement is actually a part of the way he speaks. So can you just talk about the um, what you saw in the prophets in Ezekiel and Isaiah and what um, what that tells us about how God speaks, how movement is important and critical to the way God speaks? Yeah, so this was another one of those. So I, this book is the second edition of the book, and then the first one, I had researched this just in, you know, in my research about what it was, but in the second edition of this book, it was something that he really brought to mind, especially because um, this whole notion and idea of prophetic dance really started to come into the dance ministry conversation, like in a big way. And so it was something that he, um, that he really put on my heart to do. And so I studied the prophets, and what was interesting is I started to see some patterns in, um, in what he was, what was consistent in these encounters. And so I'll read the list to you just really quickly. Um, but the things that I saw consistently that happened between me was that God directed the mover in what to do and for how long to do it. And like in Ezekiel, he says, uh, oh, he, and he directs how to do the movement. So he, he tells them what movements to do, how to do the movement, and for how long to do it. Um, the movements, when God told them to do it, they were done so that they would be seen by people. And not only that they would be seen, but that they would be remembered, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that you see when God tells the prophets to move 
is that God spoke from the movement. They were directly connected to what God was saying. Like, for instance, um, he tells Ezekiel, he says, lay on one side for 439 days and another side for such and such. And then he tells Ezekiel what that means Mm -hmm. and why he's doing that. Another instance is where he tells Ezekiel to shave his head, right? And he says, take a third of it and burn it in the fire and take a third of it and throw it up in the air and swat at it with the sword and then take the last third of it and sew it to your garment. And then he goes on to explain that a third of the, you know, people will die by the sword and a third of them will die by fire. So he goes and he explains these movements that he had the prophets do. So they were, they were critical to God's communication. They weren't separate. Like God actually spoke from the movement. So it was important that they did what he was directing them to do. And the people would see this, right? This image, this enactment was communicating and then God would go and explain what that was. Um, Another thing was that the movement served to demonstrate what God was saying, that voice revealed what the movement and dramatization meant. Um, The movements always spoke on God's behalf. They were communicating his mind, his feelings, and his words. And more was always being communicated than just the simple movement Mm. that was physically being done. So, yeah, Ezekiel threw up the hair and swatted at it with a sword, but there was so much depth in that action. And this is important because... Um, and we'll get into the the thing about prophetic dance in a minute, but this is important because, you know, sometimes when God shows us to do a move, we don't think it's enough, right? Or we think we need to do something more complicated or more intricate, and mm-hmm. that's not the case. And we need to understand also that when God shows us a move, it's important for us to do it because as we do it, he's speaking to people from it. Mm-hmm. So as we're creating the visuals that he gave us, he's ministering into the hearts of people watching us through the movement. One of the examples I say is, you know, he might tell us to turn, do a turn, stomp the ground, and then fall on the floor. Right, So we do the turn, and he's speaking to one sister, and he's saying, just like she did that turn, I'm going to turn your situation around. That thing that you've been dealing with, I'm about to flip it. And then we stomp the ground, and he goes to another brother, and he says, just like she stomped, I'm stomping out all of the addiction in your life. Right, So he's speaking to people as we do these movements. It is a critical part of the way that he deals and speaks to the people that he has sent us to speak to. Wow. And it also highlights to me the importance of what we talked about before is hearts being prepared, right? If they're going to hear that when you do that movement, there needs to be an atmosphere in their hearts and in that space where they're they're able to hear that. Wow. Absolutely. 
Um, would you just speak briefly about prophetic art? What makes, I mean, prophetic dance, what makes dance prophetic? So this was really interesting because we have, again, a buffet of definitions about what is prophetic dance. And we get caught up in all kinds of interesting things and interesting teachings and interesting doctrines. And um, and God just gave me a really straightforward understanding about it. And what prophecy or what things of a prophetic nature are is simply you're speaking the mind of God, right? So what I have seen is we... We equate being spontaneous with being prophetic. And that is not a truism. That is not absolute. Because if you look at how God dealt with the prophets, sometimes they spoke in the moment, but sometimes God gave them a word and told them to go. He gave them the word in advance, right? right. So if that's the case, then things of a prophetic nature are not always spontaneous, which means if we're doing prophetic dance, that doesn't mean spontaneous. Sometimes spontaneous just means spontaneous and unprepared. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you've heard from God in it just because it's happening in the moment. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted to deal with that because we say, oh, I'm dancing prophetically. Well, if you're dancing prophetically, we'll know by the end whether you were or not. Because mm. if you're disclosing the mind of God, the Bible said he works with his word with confirming signs and wonders. So we'll know by the end if you were or if you weren't, right? And it's okay to dance spontaneously. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no issue with that. But equating it absolutely with prophetic dance is not true. It's not true. Mm. What makes anything prophetic is if you are disclosing the mind of God. So whether I have rehearsed it or whether it's spontaneous, if I'm bringing to you what God has told me to bring to you, I'm operating prophetically. I might not be a prophet, but I am participating in the prophetic. Yeah. And you even kind of give a, a warning that when we use the term prophetic loosely, we are rightly creating an expectation that people will hear from God. And if they don't, then we've dishonored him. You know, there, there's a lack of integrity there. Um, so it's a weighty thing to to stand before the people of God and say, I am dancing prophetically. Yeah. And, um, go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, and and I don't see that heavy sense of responsibility. I see it used very flippantly. I'm dancing prophetically tomorrow. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll know whether you are or not by the time mm-hmm. you finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I want to say this too. The reason that is because you spoke to this. The reason that's so important is because when you get up there and say that, then people are expecting something. And if it doesn't happen, it's, it goes beyond people just thinking, oh, 
she's not who she said she is, they get thinking God is not who he said he is. Mm-hmm. And we have that. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to touch on a quote and then move to the next section just because this quote is so good, but the next section is also so important. <laughs> but you, mm-hmm. you look at Herodias's dance, and um, you say that you know, if you even look at it apart from its moral assignment, it highlights the fact that dance is impactful, um, that the dance impacted the king so much he was willing to surrender up to half of his kingdom. And then you went on to say, I don't know the physical and spiritual specifics of why dance is so impactful to those watching it, but it has the ability to get its viewer to let their gates down, to provoke in them an openness to surrender and cooperation. And I just thought that should be both sobering and encouraging to us. And why, you know, just an encouragement that, that dance, it's important because it can be so powerful. Yeah, it was it was really interesting when when I was researching that because usually when we tell that story, we always focus on the fact that she seduced the king, right? And then we stop there. And for a long time, that verse was used as a justification about why dance shouldn't be used and had no place in the church. And so when I was writing the book, God told me when I was looking at it to take away the moral assignment, right? Take away the morality factor and look at what happened, that this girl, just by dancing, had such an impact on this king that he was like, I will give you up to 50% of my kingdom. And I say, you know, homegirl had to be working it out for a king to relinquish up to 50% of his kingdom, right? And what I saw in that 50% is coming into this relationship of cooperation, where I can't do anything without you and you can't do anything without me. You know, it brings you into uh, this this um, mm. relationship tie where you depend and need each other. And that was all brought by the dance. That impact that she had on him. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't fully understand, but I know there's something to this. And I remember I had mentioned this on one of the previous calls that when I was in the Hush Company, what they would teach me is we are there long enough to open the heart for the Spirit of God to get him in to do his work. And that is what we do for whatever reason that it is. Dance has a way to impact people and create this sense of openness. I think sometimes even before they know they're open. Yes, yeah. It reminds me of something that um, Cynthia Newland said that um, her vision was to take dance back for the kingdom of God, right? I mean, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so if there is something in his world that can be used for evil or good, can we take it and use it for his purposes? Mm-hmm. Um, Marlene, on the matter of choreography, you point out that sometimes um, – <clears throat> that um, when the Holy Spirit leads us to a song, the purpose of our choreography is to give what is to be communicated a physical vehicle for expression. Can you talk about how you study a song in order to best do this? Yeah, so one of the things that was really interesting that God taught me is the 
the same God who gives us the movement is the same God who gave the melodic structure and the lyrics and the instrumentation to the psalmist. It's the same God, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same God who brings us together, song and dance, right? Even though I might not ever meet the person who wrote the song, but I know the God who actually wrote the song, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I was thinking about this the other day, just kind of in this conversation that we have between faith and art. And recently, like in the last few days, God gave me like three different um, kind of camps that this relationship of faith and art fit into. And one is you have an experiential relationship where I use my art to experience God, to... Mm with him personally to process what it is that he's shown me, um, that kind of thing. So it's all about ex- experiencing, right? Then you have another way that faith and art interact, which is more of a diplomatic way where I'm creating relationships through my art, right? And it mm-hmm. may just be, you know, letting people know that I, as a Christian, go through the same things that you do as a non-Christian. And so we're creating this sense of diplomacy and reaching out. Um, And then the third way is in the declarative function where I stand um, knowing that I am communicating as an ambassador for God and as his mouthpiece. And that, this declarative function, is the place I dance from, right? And Mm -hmm. is this whole book, that he gave me is from, is that declarative function. So when I stand before people to minister a song, I know, again, one, that the same God who gave me the movement is the same God that gave them the lyrics. And I know that if he led me to that song, there's something he wants to say to them through that song. So I know that is what he wants to communicate. And because he wrote it, because he gave it to the psalmist, right? So because he wrote it, he can tell me what he meant in it. So what I do to study a song, um, because I know that I'm there to give those words visualness, right? Mm -hmm. To make them as clearly understood and as plainly seen as I possibly can. And so I write out the words, I look them up, notes and notes, and you know, sometimes I don't know if they have this anymore because we buy. Marlita, I just lost you. Okay. Um, and it, we lost her for a minute. Or can you hear me? Let's make sure it's not me that's been lost. Can you hear me? I'm going to unmute you all. I can't hear Marlita. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Amy. This is Kit. Okay. Okay, thanks, Kit. I'm getting text. Amy? Okay, you're back. Yes, I can hear you now, Marlita. So um, so I write out all the words, and, and I listen to the song over and over and over, like ad nauseum. And what that does is help me get the words into my spirit because I can't show what I don't know, right? 
Um, and uh, and then the next thing I do is I look the words up so that I understand what they mean. So I go through a process of research so that I can really understand what these words are. I look up scriptures. I look up the words. I look up all that stuff so that I can really get in there. And when I'm doing that, he's speaking to me. He's giving me revelation. He's giving me understanding. But then also I start to get pictures and I start to get movement and that kind of thing. Um, and once I do all of that, then I ask, okay, because, you know, for this short song, I have pages and pages of notes. And the last thing I do is I ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to show this? And that's how he'll continue to give me what he shows me is is the choreography, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, that's how I do it because I know that I am speaking on his behalf. And I know all of the operation behind what's going on when I'm standing there, all the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, And so I know it's important for me to hear what it is that I'm supposed to do. Awesome. That's actually really helpful. I love hearing people share the specifics of their process. I'm going to share a couple things on the chat Marlita, um, Lurleen shared uh, earlier back, so as we were talking about, you know, doing what God tells you to do, not being bound by everyone has to do it this way. She says when we, but it relates to choreography as well. We did a production once when God gave long flowing white dresses and hair back in a pony. My dancers were furious, but they experienced a deep spiritual dying to self. They now look forward to wearing that particular garment. Uh, and then someone else, she said, you know, God works in obedience. And then uh, later, she says, we did Martha Muniz's Make His Praise Glorious and saw another group using the same moves God gave us. The kids are excited. He choreographed his dances. Wow, that's fun. Wow. So he had given the same movements to another dancer. That's great. And does anyone else want to comment in on this? And I'm going to, boy, there's more that I want to talk about today, but I'm going to bring us to a close in a few minutes and then maybe. Um, if anyone wants to stand for a few minutes afterwards, um, I'm going to refer you to some things in the chapter for the parts that I feel like, oh, this is so good, and I don't want you to miss it. But did anyone want to comment or question on this at this point? Okay. All right. This will be Lane. Okay. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening, you know, in regards to the prophetic dance, I and just dance in general, you know, I'm just sort of getting to the point right now where, I'll have dreams and I'll I'll see myself dancing and it's like the movements just seem so out of the box and unusual, right? And I know mm-hmm. when you and then when I actually get together with my dance team and I'll be putting the dance together and like Marlita was saying, it's like you feel like the movements don't seem to be enough. It's from what I'm seeing, it's like well I, and I keep hearing I know obedience is necessary in order to really get the message across that God is, is delivering and that he wants to be put out there. And I I tend to struggle with that a little, and I'm just in prayer, because it's like I, I'll take the movements. I've gotten to the place now where we'll get back together and we'll start practicing this dance, because the last song we did was by Marvin Sapp, uh, Never Could Have Made It. Mm-hmm. and. And you know when you there's certain parts where you know the kids have seen everybody they're always like their hands across never would have made it crisscross and and I and I'm what God showed me was told it wasn't 
the same, right? So I said, okay, Father, I'm going to go with just what you say. You you showed me, right? And it's just like in the movement, it was like, it was just like one step forward and my hands were up and it came right up to a stop as though we hit a wall, right? And I'm like, okay, it's like I'm moving forward, but my hands are coming up and they're slamming against this wall. This is what I'm seeing in the dream. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do this. Did you know I did, I did, like I said, it's been a process <laughs> because there's things in me as I'll see myself doing things. But, you know, so that's not me. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I find myself doubting myself and I'm saying, okay, mm-hmm. but if God is showing me this, it, it, it's, it's, it's got to be there. I can't just let my flesh hold me mm-hmm. back anymore. And I, I just realized that how when I do just, you know, because we're always saying let go and let God, you know, I'm going to move aside so that you can move in front and lead the way. But we still find ourselves that we didn't totally let go. That's why we're not mm-hmm. getting the type of uh, impact. The dance is not as impactful as it should be because I have held back. But like I said, right now, and since I've been doing it the way he's been showing me, more so than adding my own little extra, <laughs> it's, it's like this is so much more powerful. So yeah. you saying this and teaching this is, this is really, this is awesome. It really is. Mm-hmm. And it's like I have been asked to minister and dance myself because I do solo dances just myself, and it's going to be for a, uh, a healing and deliverance service. And you're talking, and the, the elder that asked me to dance, I want you to do a prophetic dance, you know, and I'm like, okay, and I'm listening to you talking about the prophetic dance, and, and like it's not some spontaneous thing where I'm just going to go there, be be dressed, and just wait. Not saying that God can't do that because he can do anything, right. but I do need to be prepared. And I've been asking God, I said, okay, what do you want? What song? I know you're going to give me a song and you're going to give me the movements. And I'm waiting, and it's like two weeks have gone past, and I'm like, it's, it's getting close, Father. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just waiting and waiting, and I don't want to go myself and try to choose a song, but I'm, I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to do that. But right. we do get caught up so easily because we're, Another thing, when you had mentioned in the first session about being asked to to minister, and we automatically say, yeah, because we think we're dancers, so we should just say, yeah. And yeah. we don't want to say it no to anyone because they might say, well, you're supposed to be a, a minister of God. Now, I'm an elder in the church also, right? So I'm saying, okay, I got to go do this. But if God is not giving you anything right away, I'm saying, okay, Father, did I act too hastily here? Because you haven't given me anything yet. Yeah. But then he's showing me there's a whole lot of songs I keep hearing. I hear and I'm, I'm hearing over and over each and every day different songs. And I'm like, nothing has clicked yet. So I guess for me, I just need to just continue to be still and wait for him, right? What? Yeah. Continue to be still. Continue to listen to songs. You know, I'll just continue to listen to songs. And... And just continue to declare. I I know what I, you know, you yeah. you promised that you would lead me, and I thank you that that you are going to lead me 
to the song, or you are leading me to the song that I'm supposed to do. And quickly, I wanted to speak to one of the other things that you were talking about when you first started speaking. Um, It's sometimes we get uh, confronted with pride. And not not that we're prideful people, Mm -hmm. but you... You are created an excellent being, so you want excellence, and you want to be perceived as excellent, right? That's, that's how we were created to be, so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to put your best foot forward. That's how God made us. Okay. But sometimes we get into comparison. Yeah. Well, she did it like this, and well, she's doing it like that, and... Uh, you know, well, they're doing kicks and turns and we're just, and that's where we start to get ourselves if we fall into that. Now, there's there's grace and mercy, but if we fall into that, that's where we're, we find ourselves in places we shouldn't be. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, and so I would stand strong and... Another thing that came to me is when God first called Jeremiah, right? When God first was was calling Jeremiah to stand in the office of the prophet, he said, now, Jeremiah, you make sure you say what I told you to say. Don't you worry about their faces. This ain't got nothing to do with them. This has nothing to do with them. This is about what I told you to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so sometimes that's hard. It's hard. We're human beings. You want to be accepted. You want to be loved. Nobody wants to stand out for the wrong reason. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody be the odd duck. So I understand what that struggle is like. Trust me, more than you know. Um, But again, when you obey, when when you stand in agreement with God and he shows up, what else is there to say? Exactly. Yes. But yes. drop Mike and step on things. <laughs> awesome. Hey, I just knowing that people may have places to go, and we're nearing the end of our call time. Here's what I'd like to do. I would like to do the last drawing, share the homework, and then. Um, uh, pray, and but there's a couple words of encouragement you give at the end, Marlita, and so I'm going to say two things. Um, one, I just, you know, Marlita talks at the end of the chapter, has some words of encouragement for when, um, for when we begin to question our reasons for serving or we feel like we've lost our way, as well as words of encouraging for uh, those in ministry who feel like, I, you know, I'm having financial issues. I need to get a job. I can't, you know, it's hard to do what God's called me to do because of finances. And so two things I want to say about that. One, I just want to encourage you to really read that last section. Um, and then maybe, Marlita, if, I don't know if you're able to stay on for a few extra minutes at the end. Um, you, could, you could speak to that. Um, I actually am going to need to go, but I can leave the call going for a bit more. So um, let, me put, let me do a drawing. Um, Thank you for everyone who shared. I'm going to pull another name out, and that is for Lurleen. Okay, awesome, Lurleen. Appreciated your contributions, too. So the homework 
I will post um, the homework is to um, watch video. Oh, Marlita, I'm going to have you read this to them at the, at the end as our closing prayer. Um, Marlita did a dance to this prayer that's at the end of the chapter, and it's really, really powerful. And so the homework, I'm going to post that on the course page to watch it, um, really watch it. And then um, there are two questions from the end of the chapter. The um, first one is, with greater understanding, what do I need to shift and adjust in the way I approach choreography and song selection? That would be a great one to share on the Facebook page. And the second one is, um, this one you may or may not want to share, but based on what was covered, write a prayer to God about the songs and choreography used in your ministry. Include what you desire to accomplish through him and him through you. And next week we will be looking at Chapter 4, Entering Ministry, and just hope as many as possible will be able to will join us live. This is what all the other chapters have been leading up to. It's clarifying our unique assignments in this season. And so we're going to discuss how we seek out the particular course and assignment God has for us individually. We're going to share what we understand so far about our assignments. So I really look forward to hearing from people. Um, and we will pray over you and your assignment. So if you can be here live, that's great. And if not, you know how to listen to the call. Um, so let me, um, Marlita, let me turn it over to you. Would you speak those words over the people on the call? And then if you are able to stay on and you want to, and Marlita, if you're able to, you know, a couple questions, or if you want to just speak some encouragement to people in those places, and then, and then you can wrap up. Does that sound okay? Yes, or I was thinking, and, you know, I'm able to stay on, but if people need to go but they want to be a part of this, another way we could do it is if you um, type your questions on the Facebook page, maybe, Amy, you and I can take a separate call and then post it on the Facebook page for people Let's to do listen. that. Let's do that. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. And then we can, yeah, perfect. Okay. So would you just close by speaking? Do you have your book with you? If not, I can read it, but I really like your voice on it. Yeah, I have it. And you know what I'm talking about, the very end word from God. Um, Okay, so the assignment I gave you to bring forth in the earth is something that I cannot do. You cannot do what in the earth what I have given you to do, which is why I have given it to you. However, I can take care of your life. I can heal your body. I can give you favor with managers and CEOs. I can orchestrate divine appointments with people you need to meet and work with. I can cause someone to give you the money you need. I can give you the strategy to take your product international. I can cause the banker to approve your business loan. I can move the creditor to forgive your debt. I can bring healing to your family and your marriage. I can protect your children. I can do that. But I cannot do what I have given you to do. I cannot do anything in this realm without a body. You are my body. And when you turn your attention away from my purpose to tend your life issues, you leave me and my purpose homeless and hostage in a place where I can do nothing about it but wait for someone else who will take me at my word and let me use them to get my work done here. You don't need to tend the issues of your life. I've got your life issues. 
so we don't need to we don't both need to be handling them. You cannot do with your life issues what I can do, and I cannot do in this earth what you can do. That is why I tell you not to worry about your life. I have your life. I have always had your life. And now I need you to trust me with it as I have trusted you with mine. Thank you, everyone. So, yes, we will continue to – if you would post any questions on Facebook, I mean, yes, Marlita, you and I can do a call to address those. That's a great idea. So bless you all in the name of Jesus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.